0: to turn to the book of Luke, as you all know, is one of my favorite books of the Bible, and uh... Uh, we're going to look at chapter uh, chapter 2 turn to Luke chapter 2 uh, the, the, it 'll be on the overhead as well but you can turn in your Bibles uh, w- this morning what I want to do is I just want to take a moment to look at w- what is really it, it's a profoundly significant theological statement in the scripture but we're not going to necessarily get into the details of the theology that's in that passage although it would be a wonderful and fruitful endeavor. Um, What I want to do this morning is just take a moment to reflect on what we might consider the senior citizens of the Christmas story. Uh, uh, and I, I love these two characters. Uh, the, there's not a lot of ink spread given to these two characters, but these two characters are beautiful and unique in what they represent. And what I want to do is I want to take a moment to honor their story and then simply reflect upon what might their story mean for my story. In particular, we're going to go from the individuals of Simeon and Anna and mostly focus on application and thinking about the, uh, what, what their lives have to teach us about our individual lives this morning. Because they represent something that is beautiful and profound, and it is fitting that their entire stories are mostly all in obscurity until this very snapshot that we get toward the end of their lives. And so let's take a moment and, and let's just read through this interaction and where we bring into the early in the story. Of course, it's, 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 it's not immediately the night of the birth of our Lord, but it's very soon. Uh, Luke chapter two, verses 25 through 38. Let's just read that together. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout looking forward to Israel's consolation and the Holy Spirit was on him. It might be uh, great if you took a moment to just highlight that or underline that in your in your Bibles and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. I would underline that one too. It, It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah or the Lord's Christ, guided by the spirit, I would underline that phrase as well. He, so, so really, it's, there's three characters we're going to talk about, Simeon and Anna and the Holy Spirit this morning. Guided by the spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. I I love the way we see this reflection. Of the closing, or as the writer of Hebrews, uh, or, or many, scripture, many authors in scriptures would say, that, that we are seeing the completion of the old covenant and, it's, and the necessity of it to be deemed obsolete, not because it's insufficient, but because it's done. And the entrance into this establishment of a new covenant. And we have both elements there. It's as, as, as we see the, 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 the sun setting on the old covenant, old covenant, we are reminded that the whole covenant was about the glory of Israel, which is Jesus. The one through whom God promised their patriarch Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, through you, Every family on the earth will be blessed. And we see this little exchange as we recognize this was the glory of Israel. And he is here to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles, which is all of the rest of us outside of old covenant, ancient Israel. Verse 33, his father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Now, now, these little details are important. You know, the, the, the father and mother, and we're going to contrast this in just a moment when we talk about Simeon and Anna. But think about this. The father, here's this man full of faith in what he has not seen, and yet he has always believed. And he has this rejoice, and, and he rejoices, and he has this revelation of the true identity of Jesus and you contrast that and, and with Joseph and Mary who are amazed at what he's saying. What he's saying. And, and, and part of me is like, why are they amazed? They're the ones that got angelic visitations. This guy's just holding on to, quote, a promise by the Holy Spirit that some days he had to be thinking, did I just get a bit of bad fish when I had that thought? Um, and so he hasn't had any of that and here are the two that have angelic visitations that they're aware of all of this prophetic activity that uh, has surrounded the birth of Jesus and yet they're the ones that are amazed at what the guy who doesn't get the cool experiences that we want to ask him to be a special speaker at the church for or he's going to write a book about he doesn't get any of those what he has is quiet faithfulness that is consistent And from that place, he is able to see and perceive what took angelic visitations for other characters to see. And so he makes this proclamation, and they are amazed. And then uh, it says in verse 34, Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel. Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Verse 36, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was now a widow for 84 years. That's how long she's been a widow. That's not how old she is. This is after getting married and living seven years with her husband who apparently passed away and at that time she dedicated her life to service to the Lord and now she's been doing that for 84 years years she did not leave the temple um, she did not leave the people serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Oh, I just love these characters. It was such a strange sensation this week as the week progressed. And, you know, I I did some of the the background kind of study stuff that I I frankly enjoy getting to do that part. Um, But beyond that, as I reflected, it wasn't like I was reflecting on sermon material. At some point during the week, it just seemed like I was reflecting on old friends and two really good mentors in the faith. And so I want to take a moment to just list from the Scripture the descriptions that we get about Simeon and Anna and, and what we learn about these individuals. So first of all, let's take a look at what we learn about Simeon. We're told that he was righteous and devout. That's not defined for us at exactly what that means. It just says that he was a man whose lifestyle manifested uh, righteousness and devotion to God. He was looking forward to Israel's consolation. Once again, this is remembered. This is a time in Israel's history when they are a, a a people who has who have lost their identity. They began as a, a people uh, oppressed in slavery, and then they went through a moment of of um of brief but meteoric rise and then a dissension back into oppression and being ruled from other nations. That original temple, the one that was dedicated by King Solomon in, in such a way that the, that, that the presence of God was so powerful that he moved in and manifested himself like a cloud of smoke and the priest couldn't stand up. It's the first recorded Benihan meeting in the history of the scriptures. And, and, and all the glory that went along with that and that temple, uh, what part of their history at this point is the knowledge that that temple was destroyed. The ark, the, the, the very thing that represented the presence of God forever hidden from Israel. And somewhere along before, a few years before the coming of Christ, they built a second temple. And now there's a second temple. It didn't match the glory of the first, but, but now there's this second temple. And with that, Erection of that second temple is, is also the hope that there will be restoration. And so they're looking for that. Simeon is one of the men who did not yield himself over either to compromise or cynicism, but maintain a steady, consistent, quiet hope that God would be faithful to bring the consolation of Israel um, back full circle. And in fact, there was always this hope that Yahweh would return to the temple. The examples of their history told them, though, when that happens, you'll notice it because he likes to show up in pillars of fire and pillars of clouds. No one was ready for the glory of the presence of Yahweh to return to that temple as an infant. But Simon recognized that's what was going on. And he sees this because he part of the reason why he recognized it is because he had maintained a posture of looking forward to it. It is so easy to take our hope and let it yield to the compromise of being realistic or worse to the darkness of cynicism. And Simeon does neither of these. He holds on to that hope and because he was able to maintain the anticipation of looking forward, he was equipped to recognize it when it appeared right in front of him. We are also told very important details. We're told that the Holy Spirit was on him. This is a man who is responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit, not simply in a crisis event, but as just the common rhythm of his life, he lived his life with God via the presence of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would not die until he saw the Christ. We're not told when this was revealed to him. This could have been a hope that he had been, you know, hanging on to for a week, I suppose. But it also could be that this is a hope he held on to for decades. We don't know how long it was when the Holy Spirit, but we know he's advanced in age and it's very possible that these are the fruit of hopes that have been stirred in his heart since he was a teenager or a 20-year-old young man. So if you are still waiting for the consolation of God's promise that was revealed to you when you were a young man or young woman, don't let go don't give up hope Simeon reminds us that although we are into microwaving God is into marinating and he takes his time but he is always faithful and so Simeon embodies this reality the spirit revealed to him he wouldn't die until he saw the Christ then and and that's that's a big deal you know I mean that's the kind of thing you're going to share at the men's breakfast you know how did your week go well I don't know, I had a vision and it was revealed to me that I will never die until I see God in the flesh. Pretty impressive. You get the floor that Saturday. But, but even from that magnificent kind of revelation down to the rhythm of his life, look at what we learn next about him. He was led by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple at the precise moment when Mary and Joseph were presenting Jesus to the Lord in the temple. I mean, there's something really beautiful there because we celebrate the big stories of victory or the big stories of revelation, but remember that for Simeon, that came out of a lifestyle that was so in tuned with being responsive to the leading of the spirit that even on what appeared to be a regular mundane day, when the spirit said go to the temple simeon was the kind of person that says yes lord i'll go to the temple and because of that unbeknownst to him that little willingness to respond to the intuitive leading of the spirit was setting him up for a significant divine appointment orchestrated by the god and and simeon recognized that so Whether he's receiving profound revelation about the timing of his death or he's just roaming around looking for some good dried anchovies and the Spirit says, go to the temple, he's responsive and he moves in the direction of the leading of the Holy Spirit. Simeon was immediately aware that Jesus was the Lord's Christ. We don't know why, but clearly uh, the Lord at this point is an infant like any other infant. So I'm assuming that there was some sort of impulse of revelation of the Holy Spirit when he saw this particular Jewish boy being brought to the temple to follow the dictates of the law for newborn males. Simeon affirms Jesus as Christ Through a prophetic prayer, now this is really interesting, and again, um, I'm going to be committed to what we're focusing on and try not to get too nerdy, but he affirms Christ through a prophetic prayer that is made up of several passages from the Psalms and the prophet Isaiah. We don't, the first version of this uh, sermon had those texts in the notes and I pulled it out because I know that, I knew that I would not be able to, I, I would get totally fixated on that. Uh, but, but I think that's fascinating. If you go back and study that prophetic prayer, it's made up of a string of statements that he's clearly memorized from the Psalms and from the prophet Isaiah. In other words, <clears throat> the first uh, celebration outside of that immediate Christmas story of the coming of Jesus is celebrated liturgically. Simeon was so steeped in the liturgical prayers that he was committed to that they spontaneously erupt in this moment, and he's equipped with the necessary information and language that he needs to properly celebrate prophetically the coming of Jesus as he makes that pronouncement. Simeon affirms that the Lord's Christ is both the glory of Israel, sent to be a light for revelation. To the Gentiles, because Israel was always commissioned to be the vehicle through whom God blessed every family in the earth, according to Genesis 12. Um, and then, now that this has happened, I just love the peace and the joy that Simeon embodies. Now he is ready to move on, because God has fulfilled his promise. By allowing Simeon to physically see and even hold the Lord's Christ. And what I love about this is Simeon knows he will not live long enough to physically see the accomplishments that Christ is going to purchase through his victorious suffering, death, and resurrection. And yet, it is enough for Simeon because he knows God is faithful. He doesn't have to see the evidence. God has been faithful. God fulfilled his promise. And for Simeon, this is enough. He is now ready to rest and go be with his ancestors and slip into the direct presence of God because God has fulfilled his promise. Then secondly, this beautiful, beautiful woman. And, uh, you know, Anna is a family name. So we had lots of... um, Motivation uh, to choose that name for one of our daughters. Uh, but always in the back of my mind, from the moment we decided on Anna, I thought of this woman here as well. Uh, I tried not to say that too much to her because I didn't want to put too much pressure on her. But, um, but every so often, and obviously, especially around Christmas time, when I think of Anna, I think about this prophetess. She was a prophetess, the scripture says, which means... And the scripture says this as just part of normal living. This is not like something weird or strange or some kind of freaky church sideshow. She's just a prophetess, which means she was someone with the gift of, of being, well, not the gift. First of all, she was someone who responded to all of our invitations of intimacy with God. She was someone who would cultivate the ability to respond intuitively to the leading of the Holy Spirit. But it also means that she had been given a particular ministry gift to be sensitive to the heart of God and to share the heart of God with others as the Holy Spirit gives her that uh, sensitive intuition to do so. So that's what it means. She's a prophetess. It means that she hears the voice of God and that she speaks the words of God. Never mind in that culture that women weren't particularly celebrated for that role. Culture doesn't really bother the heart of God or the plan of the Holy Spirit. So this is a woman who hears the voice of God and speaks the words of God. She was well along in years. After being married for seven years, she has lived as a widow until the age of 84, or for 84 years, it's, I messed that up, it's not until the age of 84, for 84 years. She didn't leave the temple because she was serving God. How? Through fasting and prayer, both night and day. Can you imagine? I mean, like, I, like wherever I am in my journey, I am not to the place where my heart would be filled with joy if God said, Artie, what I have next for you is absolute obscurity, but you are going to serve me in a very specific way. Yes, Lord, here I, here I am. Your servant is listening. How shall I serve thee? And he says, through fasting and prayer. And then my heart goes, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> but for 84 years, this woman has been faithful to her calling to serve the Lord through fasting and prayer. I also think that it's very interesting because we tend to think of fasting and prayers as something that we do for ourselves or others. It's usually kind of you fast to kind of get that extra um, that extra attention from God to really answer those prayers because now you're starving yourself. And, and, and unfortunately, it's evolved to where it's kind of like the last ditch hunger strike for our intercession. God, I really want you to answer so but then I'm not going to eat a ribeye this week. And so, uh, but, but this is not her, but, but this is a woman who in obscurity has embraced this calling to not serve herself primarily and not even primarily serve her community, but to serve the Lord, through a lifestyle given over to a rhythm of fasting and prayer. She immediately, like Simeon, she immediately recognizes Jesus as the Lord's Christ. And again, I know I've said this with Simeon, but also with her. There would have been nothing externally, unless she knew the story of Joseph and Mary, there would have been nothing externally that would have given her this insight, that insight Came because she was a woman who spent 84 years perfecting her intuitive response to the leading of the Holy Spirit. This is a woman that, because she had dedicated her life to a rhythm of fasting and prayer, when the Spirit spoke revelation and revealed something about this baby, she immediately knew it and she responds with her whole heart. She responds to this recognition by thanking God, and notice what the scripture says, and proclaiming hope to all who are waiting for salvation. And I love this extra little bit. She becomes one of the first preachers of the gospel, somewhere north of 84 years of age, because that's exactly what she does. She has a revelation of Jesus, and she immediately begins to encourage other people with the revelation of the coming of Jesus. She's a herald of the gospel, one of the first heralds of the gospel. So let's take a moment and reflect upon the lives of these two saints, these senior citizens of the Christmas story, if you will. As we've mentioned before, and I think it's worth mentioning again, Just about everyone else in the Christmas story so far has taken a little convincing about this whole arrangement. And typically, I said a little convincing it's typically pretty significant I mean you, this is dreams and visions and manifestations of angels and 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 one guy who had one of the early manifestations couldn't even believe it so much so that he was mute for 9 months I mean there there are significant supernatural stories that surround the proclamation and the coming of Jesus that are pretty uh, 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 profound in this story and and, and and these are fun stories to read and they're fascinating those stories to read but these two characters they're introduced much more quiet and a little bit boring there, there isn't that kind of fi- fanfare of, of, of angels and visions and yet they don't need any convincing about what is going on God didn't need an angel to get the message to do these two faithful giants they were ready they were tuned in. They were waiting. They were watching. They were listening, and they were expecting. And when I read their story this week, at one point I had to bow my head in humility and repentance as I was reminded at how sinister being lulled asleep from cynicism can be. And they reminded I was reminded that these faithful ones have waited for the Lord to fulfill his promises decades longer than I've ever had to wait for anything. And yet, that waiting did not negate the energy of their focus. Growing old in age and experiencing the natural decrease in energy that we all move into as as we get older did not in any way take away from their youthful zeal for their God. And so they are ready ready and they are waiting. They were filled with hope. This is what hope does. And that hope made them ready. Let me say that again. They were filled with hope and that hope made them ready. All that remains is faith, hope, and love. We talk a lot about faith and a lot about love. Hope is in there too, my friends. Hope is not an optional extra for the optimistic among us. The greatest introverted curmudgeon among us needs to cultivate a heart of hope because it is the hope that made them ready to see and therefore hope is not passive resignation. It is an active anticipation. And this is what characterized their life. And if I can use this language, the energy that's created by that hope is what empowered them to be in the proper place to be able to see when the fulfillment of what they were hoping for was right in front of them. And therefore, my friends, and if there is a main point to the sermon, it's this. They embody... The most critical aspect of spiritual maturity, consistency, consistency. It is by far the most powerful tool that we have in our, in our arsenal. Consistency is greater than inspiration because consistency is present when my inspiration is not. So even when we don't feel hope, we can still practice hope. And that's what they embody. The most significant aspect for your spiritual growth is not your theological acumen. It is not all the books that you read, the meetings that you attend. It is whether or not the energy you have for those activities, are they sustained from one decade to the next? Or are they simply periods of momentary interest like that time in eighth grade when you thought about playing the violin? And unfortunately, a lot of us put our zeal for Jesus in that box. That's a phase that young believers go through when they come back from camp. Simeon and Anna would take issue. No, your youthful zeal can be protected cultivated, and maintained way up into your 90th year. That's what Simeon and Anna tell us. So they model consistency. And not just consistency in, in a discipline, but very specifically what's highlighted is consistency in keeping in step with the Spirit. That means... They kept in step with the spirit even during those seasons when doing so did not yield the results they were expecting or they were hoping for. It means they learned to keep in step with the spirit even when they misinterpreted their expectations and therefore suffered from a heart that was shattered into pieces because their expectations weren't met. And yet, in throughout, all of those kinds of Experiences of life that we all encounter, loss and grief and disappointment, they still maintained faithful consistency to learning how to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit well into their 90th years or possibly beyond. Day after day, year after year, Simeon and Anna had served God faithfully inspired and fueled by the hope that God was at work, even though they couldn't see it and even if they were surrounded by hardship. Even as time passed and they grew older and older, Simeon and Anna still held on to hope. They fostered a new and renewed hope as they set their focus on God. Worshipping Him, serving Him, serving others, and taking one step faithfully at a time as they waited. Waiting's hard. That's what Advent reminds us of. The waiting periods are most often much longer than we expect that they're going to be. And waiting can rob our hope. The difference is, in, initially, and I know this is a little bit reductive and bumper sticker but sometimes bumper stickers work for a reason I can worry why I wait or I can worship why I wait all of us are presented with that opportunity I either worry while I'm waiting or I learn to worship while I'm waiting Simeon and Anna learned to worship while they waited and therefore their zeal was sustained And then they become a symbolic, they become symbolic of a gift that God has given his community. And that is faithful elder saints that can speak to the rest of us and say, I understand where you are. I've been there too. But now, in my 80th or 90th decade, I want to walk beside you and remind you that you're God is faithful. If you know someone who is going through hardship or suffering, I would recommend strongly that you turn them on to the podcast from last week's sermon. Fantastic job uh, uh, engaging with the idea of suffering. One of the most powerful parts for me was listening to a young man I'm saying that because we're kind of peers and when I call you young, I feel young too. A young man bearing witness to the profound impact of having an elder saint in his life. CCC is in a new place. It is important for a community to always be discerning the season that they're in. if you look around this room on any given Sunday mornings right now, is a time unlike any time that I recall since I've been involved in CCC since I was 16 years old. And it's a time where people are saying, man, there are a lot of new faces here. There are a lot of people that I don't know. I am the first non-boomer pastor that Christ Community Church has ever had. Now, am I anything? No. I was a, showed up at the right time, came back at 25-year-old, said, can I be the youth pastor? And I just never left. And, uh, and finally, the youth grew up and became adults, so they said, hey, you want that job too and just keep being the youth pastor? Sure. But you see the intergenerational diversity here. And I just want to take a moment to say to those of you in your 60s, 70s, 80s, and even 90s, please don't say we've done our tour of duty, now it's their turn. We desperately need your voice in our lives. And unlike what the internet in American society would have you believe, we want it. We do not think that you are insignificant. We do not see you as the generation whose stuff we need to fix, not those of us following Jesus. We look to you and we see your faithfulness and we need you to remind us how faithful God is and how much he can be trusted. Will you please seek the spirit for how he's calling you to create opportunities to speak into our lives? Please don't wait for us to come looking for you because sometimes in our arrogance and, uh, and in our youth and our foolishness, we don't even know that we need it. So I implore you to be willing to respond to the Holy Spirit and come to us. I look around this room and I see people older than me <clears throat> that I have. Um, I don't tend to look at my calendar until the week of. But I wake up Monday mornings and flip open and take a look at everything that Ruby has set up for me in the week. And I'm looking around the room and I'm seeing faces of people that unbeknownst to me have given a call to Ruby, not told me about it. They're on the schedule. They show up and we drink a free, cheap cup of coffee. Of course it's cheap, it's free. But I I like Folgers. And you've taken time to help form who I am. And I know that that's a privilege I have because I hold the title of senior pastor. I assure you there are plenty of other 20, 30, 40, and 50-somethings that long for that input in their lives. We need the testimony of those who have been faithful for decades. And so this is a gift that God has given us. I don't even know where I am now. Oh, but this is what Simeon and Anna, this is the gift that they represent to us all. So as we close and as we reflect upon what their lives might mean for us, a couple of thoughts. Simeon and Anna, from the text what we see is that they embodied hope for not on accident. They embodied hope because they practiced a rhythm of prayer and worship. We can't divorce those two insights. They embodied hope precisely because they pursued a rhythm of a lifestyle of prayer and worship. The practice of prayer and worship becomes a flow of life that recognizes and accepts that God is always present, always worthy, and always sovereignly involved in the details of our life. I was reading through the Spiritual Formation Bible this week and going through some of the articles and I really loved their simple definitions that they put in there for worship and prayer. They define worship this way, expressing in words, music, rituals, and silent adoration the greatness, beauty, and goodness of God by means of which we enter the supernatural reality of the Shekinah. Or the glory of God. I like that. It encompasses everything. And that word ritual, that doesn't have to be an organized liturgical ritual. What are your rituals of worship? They may not look very sanctified at all, but you know where they are. You know those unconventional places and moments where you find listening to the Spirit of God most accessible. Are you cultivating those? Are you developing those? Are you returning to that sacred space more often and staying away from it for shorter periods of time? I don't know what they are for you. I know what they are for me. I don't know what they are for you. And they've been different for me from one season to the next. But what are those rituals that empower you to live a lifestyle in which you are reoriented toward the greatness, beauty, and goodness of God by which you enter into the supernatural reality of the Shekinah glory of the presence of the Lord. Secondly, they define prayer this way, and I love this definition. Um, Warning, you're going to hear it ad nauseum over the next year, I would imagine. Prayer is interactive conversation with God about what we and God are thinking and doing together. Love it. Prayer is simply interactive conversation with God about what we and God are thinking and doing together. That's the kind of prayer that you actually can cultivate without ceasing. And so this is what they embodied. The more time we spend cultivating an internal awareness of Christ and the voice of his spirit, the quicker we become aware of his presence and the more consistent we will embody hope. As the worship team comes forward and we prepare for a moment of worship and reflection, I want to encourage you with these ideas. Number one, remember. Remember. And some of us, that may be all that you need to do in the next seven minutes. Close your eyes. Hear these lyrics or sing them yourself. Take a moment To remember who it is you serve. Remember that God is faithful to complete the work he has begun in you, in your family, in your community, and in the world. There's oftentimes in our weeks plenty of evidence that tempts us to forget that. So take a moment and remember. Number two, renew If you need to renew your practice, renew your practice of speaking to God, listening to God, and and verbally expressing gratitude for his goodness. Because it's a habit that's easy to get out of, and the habit that's easy to replace about with is just complaining all the time. Think about all the small talk conversations you had this past week. Really, I would almost guarantee that they were all negative in nature. That's just what we do. That's like how we connect. We don't connect on how good things are going, how blessed we are. We connect on how lousy and gray the weather has been or how people in Ardmore don't know how to utilize the left lane properly or whatever it is, which is true by the way. But, but it's so easy to engage over that. What, what about stepping out of that a little bit? and renewing the practice of gratitude. Reflect whether your thing is to journal or to pray or to talk with someone. Take time to reflect this week, even this afternoon. What might you do to prioritize growing in the skill of recognizing the leading of the Holy Spirit? So let's just pause with that question on our hearts. Would you all stand? Let's take just a few seconds here. Father, we draw near to you, even as you have drawn near to us. If you would, just close your eyes, take a deep breath. Put your hand over your heart and just pray, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We say those words not with weirdness, oddness, or fanfare. We say those words as an acknowledgement of the quiet birthright that we've been given, which is consistent, immediate intimacy with the Creator. We want to embody that the way Simeon and Anna have. So take 30 seconds and present this question before the Lord. What might I do? What are you calling me to do to prioritize growing in the skill of recognizing the leading of the Holy Spirit?